Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, B-Magic. As always, I got my brother, Noise, with me. And today, we're joined by a very special guest coming all the way from Saskatchewan. He represents the Samurai Champs. A long list of accomplishments. You know, he was the uh, the SMA 2019 Hip Hop Artist of the Year winner, which is big. Uh, as an independent artist, he's toured across Canada, the U.S., the U.K., Europe, Estonia, Singapore. He's hit up so many different spots in the world, and we're super honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Marvin. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, man? First of all, you guys are so good at talking. Let <laughs> off so fast. It's just like, wow, I'm good at all this other shit, but not talking on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I did my research. I had to like jot some notes. <laughs> yeah, noise has been killing the intros this season. He's been ripping it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention also, artistic director of Trifecta Sound, which we'll get into a little bit. Um, but yeah, you wear a lot of different hats as an artist, um, as I mentioned, as an artistic director, festival planner, former software engineer. Like we're going to get into all that, touch upon all that. Um, but yeah, I guess first off, you know, as a, as an artist, it's very difficult right now to kind of do regular artist things, to play shows and connect with folks. So kind of, you know, how is your your regular artist grind changed as a result of the lockdown um well we were actually supposed to be scheduled to be on tour right now i mean you know we we met around like this time ish like two years ago or usually around toronto canadian music week in, in canadian music week in may and then yeah. north by northeast in june like we've been doing that for like the last few years but that's always like a no-go mm-hmm. now um but i don't know try to make the most of it because a lot of this you can't really control right like i've told the rest of the trifecta artists too some things we can't control but the one thing we can control is the music right now so mm-hmm. everyone's got a lot of time inside if you got a home studio just write music make demos that's the shit that we have control over right now there's things like touring live music that'll come back when it comes back but for now mm-hmm. just like the art just focus on the craft is what matters i think yeah, I feel you on that. We've kind of been doing the same thing. Like we haven't been able to meet face to face and get in the studio, but we both we both have our own home setups. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'll make a beat or I'll get a beat from somebody. I'll record a little bit, flip the demo, and we'll just do back and forth and like try to build a song up that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's 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 been weirdly a nice time. Also, I mean, I obviously love performing and touring. But sometimes it doesn't really go hand in hand with the creative process or sitting down with an instrument to write. And it's actually been kind of nice not having the option to tour because I've never Mm -hmm. in a long time spent so much time with my instruments just getting better. Like learning how to play the guitar again has been super nice. Just like writing these soft ass songs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to jump into it as we like to do on our show. We like to take it way back. And so we'd like to, to find out a little bit more about you know, where your family's from and how you first came to Canada and what were some of the circumstances around that move? Uh, yeah, so I was raised by two loving immigrant parents. Um, they, they came to Canada um, because of their grad studies. My mom was from Hong Kong. Uh, she, uh, she came to the U.S. first, actually, for university and then, and then got a scholarship to come to Canada, um, went to Simon Fraser in B.C., and uh, my dad came from Thailand. He was he was born in uh, Rayong, like a smaller town, like two hours south of Bangkok. Um, came came to Canada on a scholarship as well. And then they they 
kind of met from that, kind of met from from school. They they all stayed. Them and a whole bunch of the other, you know, immigrant grad student kids were, I guess, stuffed into one apartment. weren't really used to eating the white food yet from the cafeteria. So anyone that was there from overseas, they would get together, cook their own food. And that was how my dad met my mom was because my dad was a pretty good Thai cook. And then, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the one skill I don't got. You know, I can stick your girl, but I cannot cook. <laughs> Um, then yeah, they, they, they finished their grad studies in BC. Um, my mom was actually pregnant with me while she was finishing, um, her thesis and they, they got jobs at the university of Regina in Saskatchewan. And that's why we moved to Saskatchewan. You know, they're, they're kind of like me, super studious, um, introverted. They just wanted a quiet place to focus on their their research you know and obviously it was like maybe not the best thing for uh you know an asian kid that wants to pursue art not not the most inspiration here but kind of in the same weird way as quarantine maybe that time in isolation giving you like the space with your thoughts who knows maybe that was like a reason why um i had all these i had the space to come up with these ideas of like wanting to start a music festival playing a hip-hop band um, teach artists like about the industry, about my discoveries and stuff. So you know, who knows? But yeah, that's 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 the story of my parents. That's amazing. Um, so like growing up, uh, what was your childhood like? Like obviously, your your parents were scholars, and and uh, they and you guys ended up in Saskatchewan. So how was how was the Asian community like in Saskatchewan while you were growing up, and how was just everyday life for you in your household um well the, the community wasn't very big as you can probably imagine yeah I, um, I didn't have a <laughs> yeah <laughs> i uh i didn't really have a lot of friends growing up i was the one um the one chinese kid in my school and that had his own you know set of challenges but my parents tried really really hard to you know still still make sh- make sure that I, I grew up with a connection to, to, to my culture. Like my, my dad, um, he tried really, really hard to set up these uh, scholarship programs for Thai kids to come study at the U of R. At one point, the U of R had one of the biggest Thai communities outside of Thailand or something in terms of, like, in terms wow. of grad students, which is pretty crazy. That's you know, so crazy. around the time, of, like around springtime, like around like Songkran, like the like Thai New Year, um, all, he, there was like a significant you know Thai student uh, community in Regina somehow, and they would have like a celebration. I would hang out with other Thai kids, and um, my mom would try really hard to put me into Chinese school. Um, there was like a small Chinese church here, not very big. I didn't really like it because I I'm not a language person. I'm like a math person, so I made a big mess of it all the time. But you know they they both tried really hard. My mom put me in martial arts into lion dance um i always grew up learning uh um chinese martial arts like kung fu boxing and kung fu you know so i always stayed somehow connected that even now like i'm i'm you know looking back at it now i feel really lucky that my parents tried so hard you know because like I, I i meet some other kids that you know they come from immigrant parents and grew up in canada or somewhere in north america all their life but they have no idea about their background, right? 
yeah so it was it was different but i think for everything everything considered i i had it as as good as it could have been yeah um so growing up what were like you mentioned you know being in martial <laughs> arts and things like that but what were some of the other things that you were interested in while you were growing up in elementary school like like i said i was a really quiet kid really introverted i didn't have a lot of friends at all that's maybe where the martial arts was like a good or a bad thing you know it stopped me from getting bullied too hard but then it also stopped me from making friends because i would react to bullying quite aggressively sometimes i think i spent it <laughs> three times in elementary school or something and like I, I didn't really enjoy school that much from a social perspective but mm. i i always gravitated towards art class that like visual art class specifically i love drawing i love painting i love music class and like every chinese kid my mom put me in piano lessons not because I liked piano necessarily but just because that's the thing you do right you want your kid to be good at math and learn persistence and resilience so you put them in piano <laughs> I guess but that was my first experiences with music so I, I I didn't necessarily like music in the beginning I think because of like the discipline that is required to be a really good piano player but creativity and art was always that was always where I felt the most myself, I think. When it came to music, like what were some of the first like genres and so, some of your first influences into like the people that you started looking into? Like, because obviously uh, as creatives, we kind of stumble upon these fields and then it opens up your eyes and now you just go into like straight research mode. I need to know everything about this field, right? So who were some of those first like artists or even genres that you were into? Um not hip-hop <laughs> that's for sure i i actually didn't really have that much access to music as a kid like my first my real first experiences with music was definitely classical piano how i was trained but i don't really count that as my first like emotional experiences with music if that makes sense that was more yeah like it didn't really experience didn't really speak to yeah. you. yeah yeah i didn't really resonate um but i always grew up my mom also loved singing. I always listened to my mom do Cantonese pop um, karaoke for like Sally Yip or like Sammy, like these, you know, quintessential Hong Kong pop stars in her day. And I think I never thought of it until quite recently. Actually, like we we just toured um, Asia for our first time when we played this uh, festival called Music Matters in Singapore this last year. And then I started realizing like, oh, maybe that maybe my mom singing these Cantonese pop songs had more of an impact on me than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. And then, um, weirdly, um, emo music, uh, like Dashboard Confessional, okay. Take It Back Sunday. And I think that had more to do with, um, I love the emotion of it, like the, the, the vulnerability of it, especially as a dude. There's so much like toxic masculinity, especially in um, Chinese culture, I feel like you got to be the man, you got to be smarter, you got to make the most money, all these, you know, bullshit things that we know are just bullshit now. We're like, oh, these dudes are being really emotional and open and sincere about it in their songwriting. And I really resonated with that, with that for, for some reason. So yeah, like the first positive musical experiences emotionally, I think 
like Cantonese pop from my mom and shitty emo music. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. Like growing up, there's someone that's listened to rock and rap. Like I, I was pretty into both of them when I was mm-hmm. younger. Like rock was always the place where you know people were more open with their emotions. Like obviously we've seen a huge shift as far as mm-hmm. subject matter in hip hop, but at the time rap was more of like the hardcore, the lyricism and all that. And mm-hmm. rock was where you found more of that, at least from males, like that emotional expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like the expression was just different, right? Like in mm-hmm. like if I think different genres are just inherently maybe in their conception are trying to communicate different things in different ways. But for some reason, like that late 90s, early 2000s emo music just really spoke to me somehow. And plus, you know, that's always been entwined in skater culture. And I've always like skateboarded as a kid, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I remember when I first like grade seven, grade eight. So I'd been here for like maybe like three, four years. But like I was a straight like skateboarding poser. But like also like because 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 my uh, I had such older brothers they also like always pushed like yo you can listen to rock you can listen to rap and you can listen to all sorts of shit it's not you don't just have to pick one right and I remember mm-hmm. like yo listening to like Offspring and like Red Hot Chili Peppers and then as I grew older that's when like Billy Talent was big and stuff like that oh, and it totally. was just like like it it wasn't that like obviously it never spoke to me like hip hop spoke to me. But I'm so glad that I went through those phases as well because it, it gave me a greater appreciation for all sorts of genres. And it, and it opens up your mind of what the possibility is when you record a song. It's not just you need a boom bap, boom bap, and you rhyme in this scheme. Like there, There's something that you can take from all sorts of genres, whatever genre you're in, right? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like, like my mom's Cantonese pop stuff, you never really know until way later on how much that stuff impacts you or how that was like a component of what you are now in your artistry it's funny that you bring up billy talent man i love billy talent especially Yo, like billy talent goes like, hard man hard oh, it's like yeah so good and before <laughs> before i started you know this band with savan before i started even singing i thought my 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 only hope was to just train really hard and be a good guitarist in a band mm-hmm. that was it and Ian from Billy Talent was probably my number one person I was trying to imitate. Just, you know, I was like, every other guitarist in an emo band is white as hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very rare you would see, like, a non-white guy in a rock band. And, like, Ian was one of those. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other guy, uh, the guitarist from uh, No Doubt, too. can't remember his name. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think the bassist in Sum 41... He was a brown guy, no? Was he? I don't know. Man, Might you be. Guys, you guys just got it. You guys are. <laughs> the, you know, we have to name. We have to name any cultural person who was in a rock band. <laughs> um. So you you mentioned like art. You were always drawn to art from a very young age. Were arts encouraged in the household? Like other than piano lessons, like you you started you know getting more into rock. Was that something that was encouraged by your parents, or was there a little bit of like cultural dissonance there? Um, probably the same amount of cultural dissonance that I think most, you know, first, second generation immigrant kids get from growing up here, I think, you know, because our, our parents, there's, it's, you know, there's never, 
there's never a bad bone. There's like the whole point was to try to make a better life for the future, like the future generation, right? But then maybe what made maybe their definition of safety or wellness wasn't exactly the same as as the time that we're living in. Mm-hmm. So um, to pursue creativity in any sort of form, music or art or whatever, some ways just they seem dangerous, right? They seemed un- like uncertain, hard to predict. Obviously, these things are scary for immigrant parents that came from like, you know, you, you kind of want that safety. Mm-hmm. So my parents were always supportive of it as a, a hobby, <laughs> you know, but anytime there was any sort of idea like, oh, this is what I want to do forever. Like, I think this is what I could be really good at. I was always met with like, oh, well, why, why can't you just do it as a hobby? You know, like you're, you're really good at math and you're really good at programming. And then they were like, you, you'd be putting those talents to waste. And then, and, and I, I listened to that, you know, like, I mean, that's why I went into software engineering, except then later on, I thought like, I, I, I noticed around the time I was 22 or 23 that the way I was thinking about things was maybe kind of toxic because mm-hmm. then I realized like, you know, um, when I was doing art or writing a song, it was the most peaceful that I've ever felt, I think. And Elizabeth Gilbert, like that Eat, Pray, Love lady, has like a really interesting thought. Like when someone meditates, eventually they get to this point where they, they feel that peace or whatever meditation is supposed to give you. But when she got to that point, she was like, wait, I've always felt this though. Mm-hmm. I felt this when I write. Maybe I already meditate when I write. And then when I thought about that, yeah, anytime I've done a creative thing, art, write songs, sing, it's kind of like meditation. And then it didn't necessarily feel that way in engineering, I think. I mean, like specifically in the area of programming, it felt like that sometimes, but then in the environment, not so much. And then one thing that I noticed was, you know, I had the, you know, that really toxic, toxic Chinese masculinity approach to programming, man. I was like, I'm going to be so good at this thing that I hate that other people like just so I can throw it in their face. And then <laughs> right, right. eventually it got to the point I was like, wait, this is, this is stupid. I yeah. mean, obviously these people are going to be better because they love this. Like they love it enough to do it on the weekend. And you can only be really, really great at something because you do it a lot. And the only reason you'll do it a lot is because you love it. Was there, was there like a defining breaking point where you kind of had this self-realization that, yo, I'm doing this for the wrong reasons, even though you were trying to be still trying to be the best. Right. But having that reflection and being like, yo, this like, you know, this is yeah, it might lead me to success, but not necessarily the success that you want in life. Right. So was there a crossroads or anything like that? That kind of was the defining moment. I don't think it was like a, like, you know, a, a defining thing, kind of like when you see the matrix, like which pill are you going to take? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I was, I was, it was a really, really slow, slow realization, I think. Um, and I, I, I don't know why it was so slow. I don't know why I didn't just like wake up one day. There were a few things, I guess. Um, like, you know, when people say, people usually like what they're good at. Um, I believe that. So I think I tricked myself into thinking that I liked things that I didn't just Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, 
like quote unquote good at it. Some things that started to wake me up maybe was I remember applying for um, this co-op work term, you know, because like in engineering, you want to get work experience and stuff. And then I remember getting in and then for some reason something happened, something, something happened that made me realize like, wait, why would I want to get work experience in this? I don't want to do this. Like, I guess I always, I always thought of just getting the degree as like something to satisfy my parents. It was always for my parents, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really realize how non-sustainable of thought that was, I think until pretty recently, like two or three years ago or something. Yeah. I remember when we first met, uh, back in 2017, you were still working on your degree at the time. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember we had a brief conversation about it, but you mentioned how you were kind of on the fence where you were like, you're trying to finish your degree, but your heart wasn't in it and music was starting to pick up, but you were like close to the end of, of, uh, of your schooling at the same time. And you're just, it just felt like you were being pulled in two different directions. Yeah. 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 I, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually still finishing that same degree right, right now. Like I, I okay. finished my undergrad and everything, but that, that master's thesis, you know, in addition to being alone, songwriting and practicing instruments that's one really nice thing i think not touring has 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 given me in quarantine time mm-hmm. i i thought like this is such a stupid thought now that i think about it but like i thought i could write a thesis on a plane on tour and stuff just like stupid you can't write a book on a plane <laughs> like you need a desk you need to sit down at a desk so I'm, i've been finishing that now but who knows maybe these things like they happen the way they're supposed to happen because now with all this experience, not just with Samurai Champs, but with Trifecta and applying like what I learned in software to, to, to help our other artists and especially our DJ Ron, Tefron Don, seeing how they've been able to play these other festivals, develop their art, um, play shows, travel with us everywhere. Now it's like there's enough data points to, to really have something to write about that I can maybe kind of care about it, like not have it feel so pointless, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, to go back a little bit, you mentioned uh, Samurai Champs. You know, you are you are one half of the group. Uh, how did the group form? Like, how how did you guys all meet together? Me and Savan have been friends for probably more than fifteen years now. We uh, we actually went to the same high school, Campbell Collegiate, uh, in Regina, and you know, I didn't grow up with hip hop. I mm-hmm. thought I was just going to be like a the best thing I could be was just a guitarist in a shitty post-hardcore <laughs> <laughs> But then, so, the band I was playing with at the time, uh, we wanted to play something, and Savan was always in hip-hop with a, with a different community. He was a few years older than me, like two or three years. So they organized this thing at the high school called Coffee House, which was basically like an open mic um, in the library. And that's where they would um, do open mics, like freestyle. And I became friends with Savan through that way, also through the Asian community. Like he's he's Cambodian. His parents like escaped from 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 Cambodia. And when they graduated, they eventually like passed that on to me. And then I kind of made it more of like a punk thing. Mm-hmm. But then me and Savan have always remained friends. Um, I remember. I think I think one of the most the more pivotal times was I played an acoustic show at a coffee a coffee shop and he came up to me after and then he was like um, we're like the same artist but just maybe in different genres 
And then that always kind of stayed with me. And we would still make music together, but not together together. Like I would, I would have like an, I don't know, like a soft acoustic song. Like, do you want to spit a verse on this? And then he would have a, have a beat and he's like, do you want to sing a hook on this? And then eventually, um, I think we did enough music together apart that we just decided to do music together together once I finished uh, my first degree. And we've just been doing it together since. But we've always, we've always been like, we've always been friends this whole time. It's, it's cool. Like with, with groups, I feel like it's, there's just a different energy and a different dynamic than when you're working on stuff on your own. Like me and Magic, we've been working on music for almost 10 years at this point. Um, what would you say are some of the important things or the, the key factors to have that make a group successful? I mean, a lot of the things that I think apply to like a healthy marriage. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Really it's very true. Yeah. Very fucking yeah. true. You know, you, you watch these like corny ass rom-coms or you listen to these like relationship <laughs> podcasts. Like, I mean, like, I don't know if you guys do, but a lot of these same principles, like clear communication, honesty, um, boundaries, they totally apply to being in a band, a group, or any sort of, like, group creative endeavor, I think. Because even throughout history, when you see not just music, but companies, right? Like, Airbnb mm -hmm. is, like, a really good example, I think. Um, Joe Gebbia, and um, I always forget the other guy's name. But it's not really the most talented, smartest groups of people that win. It's, like, the groups of people that stay together in the long run that win, that can build things that stand the test of time. And then me and Savan, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy or anything, but one thing that I'm really grateful that we've developed through our friendship is one, it's a big blessing to know someone for that long, like from mm. your youth, watch each other grow up, help each other grow up in the ways that you know you're strong and you know they're weak and you can teach each other and then also knowing how to communicate that in a way that isn't hurtful. But even if you hurt them, you both know that you're not trying to hurt each other. You're just trying to help each other grow, be better for each other, and be better for that thing outside of you, whether it's like a band or your relationship or a business mm -hmm. or whatever it is. You know, you know, same thing as like marriage stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like even there's so many times in the studio, like me and, me and Savannah are a duo, Samurai Champs is a duo, but since um i think since 2018 when he when he um played south by southwest we started playing with a full band so the sun is like six or seven six or seven people and it's it that's actually been pretty magical because we can you know you can get in your own head creatively you can be a perfectionist you can go in loops no one's good at everything but when you have a, a creative pair you you kind of tell each other your weaknesses and you become stronger and that it only becomes better when you have like a group. So in the studio, you know, our our bassist Logan or our drummer Luke or our, our DJ Ron or like our guitarist Kevin, they'll be in the room too. And then sometimes they'll they'll even say like, Marv, how did you know to sing what Savannah was trying to communicate? Like, how did you know to sing what he wanted you to sing? And then I'm like, I I honestly don't really know. Maybe that's just something that that happens after you know someone and grow up with them for 15 years. You know, that that's like the magical part. That's the part that I don't think you can make a checklist mm -hmm. 
or read from a textbook. It's so true, though. It's it's yeah. literally like the greatest thing is just like honesty, like just so like, you know, just so everybody's on the same wavelength. Right. Like me and noise, we've been in we've been in groups where of, of we've been in a group where there was five of us. We've been in a group where it's just the two of us. Right. And it's obviously the more people you add to the mixture, the harder it becomes. Right. But like the, the great thing of me and noise working for like 10 years now, it's like it's literally effortlessly effortless mm-hmm. now right like it's i don't even we don't even have to i i don't just i'm like just send me the voice note i don't need to know what the hell this song <laughs> yeah. send me the voice note this song will you'll get a verse back in a day you know? let's just get it done right and that but that's the thing it's like that it took it took those 10 years for us to grow like that right like we be we became greater friends through music um our lives kind of simultaneously just we just grew right as, as to grew up to become these men right but Throughout that, it was just like the comfortability of knowing somebody is on this battle with you, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like, yo, you're not alone. Because as artists, we nitpick at everything and we can become lost in our own minds with this shit, right? And it's it's very, very, at least for me, like I enjoy being in a group so much because it's like, it's like a verification. Like, you know, like... Mm-hmm. When I first started, I used to be like so arrogant and thinking everything I wrote was so amazing. Like fuck everybody else. <laughs> this is the, this is the most fire verse ever ever. Oh, right? Man, you're such a rapper. <laughs> right. And then, and then the older I grew, it would be like, no, man. The way I said that fucking one little half line, terrible. Like fuck this whole song. You'll scrap this whole song. It went to that, right? But then it's like. I feel like uh, with me and noise, it was just like, yo, forget all the the bullshit you've been feeding yourself. Let's just fucking make dope music and yo, feed off each other's energy. And it's it, it's worked up until this point. But uh, I liked what you said about a marriage. It, it is it is very close to the same way <laughs> yeah. I have about marriage. It's um it's like blind spots, right? Like, yeah. It's impossible to have a three hundred percent human. Um, I don't know if you guys know um. Have you heard of the, the book um, Power, The Power of Two, Creative Pairs, by this dude named um, Wolf Schenk? Uh, he, he writes a lot about these different creative pairs um, throughout history. So like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and, and Apple and, and John Lennon, Paul McCartney. And he shows a lot of these patterns of similarity that maybe creativity in art, but I guess trying to build a relationship is also a creative process there's no way one person can see everything it's like when you're when you're born you're like given half of the picture and you need someone else to see the other half of the picture with you and that's only from you know having somebody else i think and it's 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 a blessing you know having a friend or someone that will grow with you like that because you know we're all well not older dudes but we're all not like babies right not everyone gets to grow up together. Some people grow apart. Some people like don't have the same values. And it's really special to have someone to do a creative process with. But then the ironic thing is every relationship, every romantic relationship me and Savan has ever had has failed. <laughs> because, of, <laughs> because of music, because of touring, because of being away from home for too long, because of not clear communication, because for some reason, everything that we do right in our relationship in Samurai Champs or, or running Trifecta, for some reason, it just never translates romantically. <laughs> <laughs> it leads to it leads to good music, though. 
know. Yeah. Fuck those yeah, girls. Man. As long as the as long as the music is good, man. man may, yeah. Sometimes, tragically, I wonder if that's true. That the this perpetual motion of us not being able to have a concrete relationship successfully is actually the fuel for song juice most of the time. <laughs> Yo, fuck! It goes back to the emo music, man. One thing, one thing I want to talk about is um, the Saskatchewan music scene, or at least locally um, in in the city where you're from. But you know, because with this podcast, we've had an opportunity to talk to folks from you know smaller cities like Brampton, larger cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, and we just get a little bit of insight as far as what the scenes are like there, but. Uh, from from your perspective, what was uh, the scene like where you grew up, and what changes have you noticed uh, over the years? When when I was in high school, the the hardcore and punk scene was like a really big part of me growing up musically, for sure. Um, that was always like a, a magical time. It was kind of around the time Alexis on Fire was touring Canada, across Canada, all the time. They were dope, were yeah. Bands like Monine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're from Ontario, right? St. Catherine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like, really great Canadian hardcore, post-hardcore bands. And, uh, uh, textbook Tragedy was a big one. But even bands from the States, um, like Misery Signals, Have Heart, um, Shy Halud, a lot of these bands somehow always made it a point to stop in Regina. Regina had a really, really healthy hardcore scene. And especially for being a weirdo Asian art kid in high school, it was it was nice to just be in a, a scene of weirdos, basically. Mm-hmm. Like a whole bunch of dudes with stretched ears and tattoos and girls screaming and people moshing with chains. And it, it sounds like violent, I guess, but also it was so accepting at the time. And I think a lot of that had to do with why a lot of that has to do with my approach in Trifecta now. Um, One of my first solo shows actually ever was um, with Andy Schaff. I don't know if you guys know him from Saskatchewan. He's he's getting up there right now. He lives in Toronto now. But one of my first shows was with Andy Schaff at this venue called the Buffalo Lounge. And it was put on by uh, this uh, punk drummer named Levi. And I remember being this young kid. I was in grade 10 or grade 11 or something with this big bearded tattooed man. And he was like, hey, can you come help me uh, grab water for the bands? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I I thanked him. Thanks for like adding me to the bill. I think he just heard some of my stuff on MySpace or something. And then he was like, well... You know, I, I, I started playing music and putting on shows because some older guy asked me to, and maybe you'll do the same for somebody else one day. And that kind of, I guess, is now the premise for Trifecta, has always been the premise for Trifecta, right? To That, that corny-ass cliche, like, be the person, the younger version of you needed, yeah. or, or whatever. So, I mean, that was just a stroke of luck. It just so happened that... Regina had one of the coolest punk hardcore scenes in Canada at the specific time when I was growing up and wanted to play in bands and put on shows. And a lot of the people that I still even touch with today from the Saskatchewan music community, I met through that scene. Um, Nick Faye played in this 
other hardcore band. Um, I still talk to him all the time. We've actually toured together at the same festivals in the UK somehow. Now he, he kind of plays more like folky acoustic stuff now. Um, Gage, uh, who runs Grind Central Records and the band Surf Dads. We played in a band together. He actually used to be my, my drummer back in the day. And he just laid down some guitar on this next album. A lot of these relationships still continue to persist because of this weirdo hardcore scene that we had back then. Let's say a kid wanted to create a fucking festival. How did how the hell did you create a festival? <laughs> uh, first of all, I want to know, but let's say <laughs> let's say a young mind out there who's like, "Fuck it, I've been seeing Coachella or whatever, right? I just wanna I want to create something like that, whether it, it's not at that scale or whatever, right? Just just being able to pull that off is a feat on its own. So mm-hmm. how how did that idea first spark in your mind, and how did you? execute it to actually happening oh man big question (laughs) (laughs) um if i was to tell a younger version of me one thing i know for sure is you have to ask yourself why are you doing it i think that's that's one thing i really wish i could tell younger me i think is try to be more conscious of your decisions um the reason why i went and studied so hard and adopted this like really toxic approach to engineering I think was because I wasn't really conscious I didn't think about my decisions I just went with whatever was going on I just happened to be lucky that what happened to be going on was also there was a hardcore scene I had friends in music that wanted to play in bands I met Savan these things I didn't get to pick this was just luck right but one thing I think is ask why do you want to do it in the same way, like, why, why do you want to write a song? Why do you want to rap? Is it just because you think it'll get you girls? It'll get you groupies? Because I can guarantee you it doesn't work that way. There's easier ways. <laughs> <laughs> or are you trying to write a song because there's no other way for you to express what you're feeling and you need to, you know? And then same thing for a festival. Why are you doing this? Is it because you want the clout? Is it because you want to be seen as that guy? Or it's because you want to bring a community together because it's not just for you because the festival would be cool, but it's because it's for your friends. You want to help your friends. And that was probably how and why it started. Like when I was in high school, being a part of all these different music scenes and just hanging out, I had enough relationships locally, not, not like anything was that important or anything. They weren't it wasn't like a you know Toronto or LA music industry relationships kind of thing, but these were the, the prominent people who have always played in bands, who have always supported the scene um, in Regina. And these were people from the hip hop community, from the punk community, the hardcore community, the folk community. And I had enough of those relationships. I think over time, it, that it, it wasn't it wasn't a hard decision. It was like, oh, this just makes sense. Why would I not want to play a giant show with all of my friends? And for all my friends that didn't play music, they were all they all wanted to do something too. You know, not everyone gets gets to play music. Not everyone has access to like piano lessons or finds a guitar at a garage sale or something. But friends usually want to help. And I had a lot of friends that were way more organized than me, or that was totally cool with standing outside and working at a beer gardens for eight hours. <laughs> you know, so it 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 was all organic in the way that i had friends that wanted to play that all that were all were from some sort of music scene 
or I had friends that wanted to help and contribute in building this thing for our city. Except then that was all like for, it sounds corny, but like for a, a pure reason, like you just want to make this thing with your friends. I think that's the first step is ask yourself why you're doing it. And that just doesn't apply to a festival. That should be for anything, I think, mm-hmm. you know. What were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from it, from that first time running it? Um, that maybe my engineering degree wasn't the most useless thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> because when you when you build software, you gotta you gotta plan that stuff out, right? Like, yeah. You gotta make sure that there's a procedure. You gotta design different functions. Make sure the stuff is modular in case one part breaks down. And I I built the festival with my friends in the same way I would build a piece of software with people in my class would see who's good at what who's good at programming and what language and divide up the jobs and then start with what is the most fundamental function that we need for everything to run so for me the the the, the main the main friends that helped was uh, my friends Casey Delacruz and Reed Edwards and they were both not like music people but they were both really good with people mm-hmm. and really good at organization and logistics and i knew the bands and i knew music and i knew how to set up sound and stuff so that's how we divided it i did the lineup got the bands worked on the schedule got the back line and they dealt with um connecting with sponsors um setting up the beer gardens getting all the permits the insurance that's all the stuff that I'm terrible at. Do not trust me with any sort of form, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and then after that, what is the first thing, right? Like a festival needs to exist in real life. So what's real life? A venue, a stage. Um, I really wanted something outside. And then so we just searched. It just so happened in Regina, there was a free stage downtown power supply everything and they were dying for people to use it otherwise they would have built it for nothing the whole point why they built this plaza was for public use and and community involvement so then i didn't do this like i didn't apply for the permits (laughs) reed did but he did and it was like okay sweet we we got a place where this can exist what's the next step and you just keep building it that way um, there's just so many parts to it, you know, but those mm-hmm. would be the most fundamental things from a technical standpoint. I think like one, you need friends and you need people and you need to focus on the technical issues. Like how are we going to get sound? How are we going to get power? Like, where is this going to exist? But from an emotional standpoint, first ask yourself, why are you doing it? Um, and you guys can read all about it once I'm done this thesis. I'm probably going to turn this thesis <laughs> into a children's book that documents all of this anyway. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's dope. Um, so like going from like even creating something like that for your, for the place where you're at, where that may not necessarily have, you may not have a lot of venues that do that all the time. Right. So creating a Mm -hmm. scene like that. And then now fast forward, the samurai champs get to like, you know, travel the world and hit festivals in different countries. Like what, uh, was that kind of like, like, was that a, did that take like getting used to or was it like fuck it like you know just like the festival we're gonna figure this out one step at a time like how how was it taking it from local stages to worldwide again i think this goes back to the emotional reasoning um it that's always the hope right like everyone hopes to become 
bigger and better than their small little coffee shop show or their local thing. But I think it does actually happen naturally if it's for the right reasons, I think. Because it was never deliberate. It's never like, we didn't have this 10-year plan. Okay, 2016, we're playing Canadian Music Week. 2017, we're going back and meeting noise. And 2018, <laughs> we're playing South by Southwest. It just doesn't work that way, right? It was just an organic kind of thing, as long as it's guided by, I guess, like the right questions to yourself. Because even if we weren't, well, not Savan. Savan's way more conscious than me. But even if I wasn't conscious, one thing that means Savan always asked ourselves was, would 21-year-old us still be proud of this decision? And we've always used that to kind of guide things. So when the first festival finished, we thought that was good, that, that was going to be it. We, we thought like, okay, this was, this was fun and it was good. We didn't lose money somehow. <laughs> and, and we'll be happy if it, if, it, if it pulls off. And people wanted more. So then, okay, well, what's next? Well, maybe we should do another festival next year, but maybe we'll try two days. Oh, man, but people, like, really want something before next summer. So, okay, let's maybe start, like, a concert series, wrap up some hype. And then we met more people through that because, you know, there wasn't a lot of other multi-genre concert series, festival kind of things going on. So everybody wanted to play. Everybody wanted to come. And almost all four um, of those concert series shows were packed. And that built up more organic hype for the festival in 2015. And that one, somehow we didn't lose money again. We made money somehow. And then, then it's like, okay, maybe we can just like keep going with this, maybe. And then at the same time, you know, still focusing on, let's keep playing these shows. Let's get better as a band. Let's keep writing songs. Let's get better at writers. So in a way, people ask like, well, which one are you you're going to have to pick one day? But I mean, so far, they kind of had to grow together. Without Trifecta, without the festival, without these shows, me and Savannah would have nowhere to train. Mm-hmm. It's like becoming stronger allowed us to build better gyms, except then having better gyms kept making us stronger somehow. And then in 2016, I think we broke even after like three or four hours, like in the beer gardens or something. And then I was like, well, well, this was unexpected. But then we have a different problem, you know? It's not like it was, it, again, it never went to the reasoning that we wanted to make money or be that guy or whatever. We just wanted to make ourselves better as artists and, like, make stuff with our friends. And around that time was when we got the invite to Canadian Music Week the first time we played in 2016. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we got the invite to Reeperbahn in Germany. And then... And then Breakout West. Um, and then slowly that kept going. And then since money wasn't our thing, like, well, maybe we should try to focus on this band thing more. The festival is <laughs> getting quite big to handle. <laughs> so we kept the concert series going, which was important because that's how we met most of the artists in our collective now. But, you know, one tour led to another. We played UK, <clears throat> a few festivals in the UK in 2017. That led to South by Southwest in Estonia in 2018. And then last year, Canadian Music Week in North by Northeast. That was maybe one of the first times in an Airbnb house that I felt like, wow, this is not just us anymore. We have a house full of 
are artists, trifecta artists, that didn't think they were going to get out of Saskatchewan, but are here with us for an actual trifecta show at North by Northeast. Yeah, so it sounds like you were put in this interesting position where you're trying to build your own name or build the Samurai Champs name, but at the same time, you're trying to build the Regina scene or bring unity to the Regina scene. And it's like they both kind of fed into each other. And now you're at the position where you're at now. Again, it's so hard to plan, you know. Um, I wish I could do more, to be honest. I wish we were still putting on the festival every summer. And I wish we were still putting on more shows. Obviously, all of that is just off the table because of COVID and everything. But knowing that we played some part, I think, in helping Saskatchewan artists get out of Saskatchewan felt like something important to us because that's what we wanted and we didn't get help that way i mean you know every province has a a, a music industry association sas music has helped us all they can mm-hmm. but they were their 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 um their main guy mike dawson at least was very honest with me in the beginning um it was actually his second in command kaylin that saw us the first time and he was like whoa this is like a hip-hop group but plays like a hardcore band and Kalen's like a big hardcore guy so he told Mike and then Mike was like I'll, I'll try to help you guys as much as I can but I just I'm just gonna be honest there hasn't really been a lot of hip-hop out of Saskatchewan you know like I don't have a lot of con- connections in that field you know um, we fully accepted that the scene wasn't really there when we were first coming up but I think because we had like a good set of friends and like good relationships from growing up in hardcore, and we had each other. This is all like corny shit, but <laughs> it was like going to be enough, and it it's still it's it's still enough somehow. That's dope, man. Um, so what do you see kind of as the the future of Trifecta, or is it a little bit difficult to <clears throat> to to put a to put anything definitive on it, just given the uncertainty of everything? Um. Yeah, I mean, last year we had like two of the biggest things I think that we ever done as a collective with North by Northeast and Canadian Music Week all together. Um, and, you know, we were supposed to, us and another of our artists, Denise Faye, we were supposed to play the Junos this year and then that got uh-huh. canceled and everything. And some people are taking it harder than others um, because we've built a lot of um, a lot of our infrastructure around these live operations around touring, especially because that's that's kind of the background that I was in, right? Like heavy music, you have to play live, you have to be a good live show. But having this time to think and rethink about things, being forced to, I can't say what is for sure with Trifecta, but I do know. Trifecta is going to put out some of the best music in Canada in the next three or four years, for sure. Especially because I know the artists that we have Trifecta right now. And even though they're all locked inside, seeing them train, hearing their demos that they upload to the group Dropbox all the time, they're just going to come out of this so much stronger, I think. Like, not because this is an ideal situation, but or, but because because we're using this situation i think in the best way that i can possibly use be used right now yeah i feel like 
like you said, if you just if you do if you're doing it for the right reasons, then you just stay on your tunnel vision and whatever comes to you will come to you naturally, right? And you know, it's uncertain times for a lot of people, but you know, keep your intentions pure and you know, success will find you sooner or later, right? There's no everybody's on their different path and you know nobody has a has a date when they're gonna blow right so it's uh for, for an artist it's just like okay you know the ones who who treat it like uh who do it for the art and do it for the love of it th- that that aspect of seeing the finishing line or whatever there is no finishing line we're forever learning we're forever making great music and you know as long as we have the ability to make music then fucking you know we are in, we are at peace and we are we are happy right and that's that's the first step of anything there is one thing though i think all young artists should consider more seriously is always question yourself i think just because it's and you know this might not happen as much in a more cosmopolitan center like toronto or la where you you have access to a lot <clears throat> a lot more industry, a lot more people that are experienced in different fields. But one thing, it, we know it wasn't just, you know, a good heart that got us out of Saskatchewan. I think it's still a good heart that makes us want to keep fighting for Saskatchewan. But one thing was always questioning, there must be more to this, I think. There must be more than just, you know, uploading songs. To the void of SoundCloud and hoping something happens. <laughs> there must be something more than just touring in circles, hoping for something to happen. Like we kept looking for little things, like oh, in Canadian Music Week, is there someone that here, here that we should meet? We shouldn't just assume that someone's just going to help us. No one has helped us up to this point. Why should we expect someone to help us? It's just that questioning, questioning of the process, because that's ultimately how you learn, right? Like we. We do that so well as artists and as songwriters, like questioning ourselves. Oh, is this the best way to sing this? Is this the best way to deliver this? Is this thing what I want? But if only that was taken into more things, you know, like, is this the best way to market this song? Is this the best way to perform this? And I think that application of our creativity as artists into other fields like business or marketing or even just the way you conduct yourself or question yourself in everyday life, I think opens up a lot of things. And I, I think that's where I, I think a lot of the root problems are coming from. Um, I mean, right now with every everything that's going on in the world with all the rallies, like with Black Lives Matter, with Indigenous Lives Matter, like a lot of, a lot of these issues is because people don't want to question things. And I mean, why would people want to question things if, if you're already kind of, in a comfortable spot if you were given that spot where things are comfortable why would you have to question because it's nice but then we've and we've had to have a lot of these different talks in the last little bit even even within trifecta you know because for the most part yeah trifecta for the most part is artists of color but you know it's not like we're gonna not have an artist because they're white but then sometimes when you get that advantage you're living in a bubble. Like we're living in Canada, we're also living in a bubble. There's other stuff going on. Everyone should maybe, I would hope, at least I would hope younger me would do this, is practice the practice of questioning, I think. Because that doesn't just help you in art. 
or your art career, but I think in just making you hopefully be a better person, I think. Very well well said. said. Yeah, it's profound. I think uh, I think that's a good way to, to put an end on it. Um, but just before we wrap up, uh, we like to close every episode with giving everybody on the show a chance to name one thing that they're grateful for. It could be you know, an object you have in your life. It could be a person you have in your life. Just anything that you want to express gratitude for, any energy that you want to honor. I think I'm most grateful for um, my friends and my parents because those aren't necessarily things you get to pick especially your parents I mean you know you guys are both like you know first second gen immigrant kids like me Mm -hmm. there's never a question that our parents didn't love us you know there's there's always that quote um I'm pretty sure she was Taiwanese um an author she was like your parents don't know you, but you have to trust that they love you. Even if they they don't see the same way that you grew up or maybe they can't, you know, teach these things like consciousness or or questioning these more conceptual things, at the very least they tried. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm I'm always grateful that my parents, you know, as researchers, obviously they read a lot. They always taught me to read and yeah maybe they didn't teach me how to question things but they taught me how to read enough that I could learn myself how to question things I think like that's that's one thing because that's really lucky not everyone gets that you know so yeah yo are you crying well <laughs> yo I swear I swear <laughs> to god I almost shed a tear right there yo, oh my god I just started thinking about my mom and pops <laughs> oh, just gonna call your parents right after this yeah, man. <laughs> Now I don't know even know what to say anymore. <laughs> God damn, noise! What you got? <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, just like just even before uh, we did this call, I was just kind of reflecting on, especially now when no one's really playing shows anymore. But just like there, there's always an excitement when you are playing a show, like okay, who's going to be, or how many people are going to come through the door? You know, what's the stage going to look like? What's the what's the lighting going to be like? Just kind of, you know, walking into an empty venue and just that discovery of, like, what the space is going to be and, like, you know, this is your playground. This is your office for the night, right? Um, and then once the show actually starts, people start coming in, DJ starts spinning, you know, you start to, you know, that excitement starts to build more. And then, you know, you're introducing yourself to other artists that are going to be on the bill. And like, you know, in preparation for this episode, I was just kind of reflecting back to Marvin when we first met, you know, at Canadian Music Week. And, you know, we we were like, we had some technical issues. We didn't have a wire that we needed to like play our music. So like you guys went out on a on a mission to like find this wire for us and just like just chance occasions like that that will only kind of pop up when you're in like that show environment. And it, it's just there's a beautiful camaraderie I feel that exists. Um between artists when you're there and there's an excitement and it's something special that you get to share in. So I'm grateful that, you know, I've been able to to play shows and connect with a lot of dope artists and yeah, you know, I'm lo- looking forward to a chance when we can be back on stage again. You know, we haven't played, I haven't played a show since February. So it's been, a oh man, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, just uh, I'm I'm grateful for just being able to, you know, perform on stages, and then I'm grateful for just being able to connect with other like-minded folks who have so much to share through that through that process. Man, I'm really so, glad so. you guys asked me to do this. I totally forgot about that um, that off score thing. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, I'll go along the same lines as noise. Um, a lot of the opportunities where we've gotten to go on stages that weren't necessarily in the greater Toronto area were a lot of the times through friendships with people we've met or organizers who have seen us online and just the rapport that we had with them and just they you know like just having a conversation with us, people can kind of get we're doing it for the right reasons and for the love of it and like. You know, it's it's never ever really been about the money. Yeah, obviously we got to sustain and we got to be able to, to to you know be able to feed ourselves. But that was never the main goal. Like, let's fucking see how much money we can get out of these guys. No, it was like, yo, you guys want to bring us halfway across the country and you want to put us on a stage? Like, holy shit! Like, yeah, let's <laughs> like you know we do whatever to get that done. You know, and it's like we never ever really lost touch of like, you know, like every time me and noise are just sitting there waiting in a, in an airport and about to go somewhere, we're giggling like little kids. Like the very first time somebody flew us out because it's like, we still can't believe that like, yo, we're about to travel somewhere off our musical talents. Like, you know, like no matter how many times that happens, I, I never get ungrateful about that thing. And I hope that I never do because it's like, it, it's such a blessing to do that. And it's like, the inspiration that you come back with and you come back to your hometown and, you know, whether it's a big hometown or not, like you feel like a million bucks and you feel like anything is possible now. Right. And that I'm glad that that energy happened uh, early on in our career and it keeps on happening. Right. But it's uh, I'm really grateful for just having those relationships with people all over that have have, have taken us from different coasts and different countries and and stuff like that. And it, it's beautiful because it, it goes back, it ties back to what you said. It's like, when you get to this position, I hope that, you, you know, once we, once we become settled, I hope we look back and kind of put, put a lending hand out there and be like, yo, let's pull out some, let's show these kids what nobody showed us. Or, you know, let's give these kids the opportunities a, a certain person may have given you. So it's like, I feel like that's very important as well. And it's it's kind of the reason why uh, we started the Immigrant Hustle podcast. It was whatever creative arts you may be in or whatever culture you come from, it's about creating a, 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 a platform and a formula for kids who want to do these things, but they may not have necessarily seen anybody who looks like them doing it. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, now now hearing hearing your story or the story of the Samurai Champs, like... You know, hopefully, like, even if it's a brown kid, Asian kid, whoever it may be. But, you know, th them being like, yo, I'm from a small town. I'm from a small place like Saskatchewan who never really had a scene. Yo, these guys made it happen. So it's possible. Right. And that's if, if that's all it takes for somebody to fucking try it, then we have done our part. Right. And, you know, the more we can do to help the next generation, uh, I will try to. And I know Noise will try. And hopefully you will as well. And uh I'll leave it at that. I kind of rambled on there. <laughs> no, I, no I, I hear you. If, if anything is kind of ingrained in us, you know, like everything you just said, that's probably the same rationale that our parents gave to come here. So like, for why sure. would we not be programmed to do the same thing? Thank you, first of all, for, for taking the time to speak with us, man. And uh, where, where, can, where can the people reach you on the socials if you want to do all that? You want to check out my band, Samurai Champs? 
Um, we're the only Samurai Champs, so you can Google that. Our handle is Samurai Champs. If you want to check check out the the other Trifecta artists, um, same thing as trifectasound.co, or the handle is just trifectasoundco. And if you want to reach me personally, uh, you can't. I'm just kidding. My personal <laughs> Instagram is MervXXGotti, but I'm also not really that much of a social media person. So you just you get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Right on, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah, we look forward to uh, your marriage podcast upcoming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. This has been another episode of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.